Boom, 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 Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to the Disney Movie Marathon and the final episode in our series on the package film era. This is The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, and like Fun and Fancy Free, this is the pairing of two shorts that are too long to be considered alongside the Disney short films like the Silly Symphonies or the Mickey Mouse cartoons, but not long enough to be a film on their own. These were two shorts that were in the works for years before being paired together and released as one film at the very end of what is commonly referred to as the War Era, or the Package Film Era, which came between the two eras that Walt Disney is truly known for, the Golden Age with his early films like Snow White, Pinocchio, and Bambi, and the Silver Age with his later films like Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, and The Jungle Book. The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad pairs two completely unrelated stories and bridges them with narration from Basil Rathbone and Bing Crosby. The first story is Kenneth Graham's The Wind in the Willows, and the second is Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Welcome back, everyone. <laughs> to Ichabod and Mr. Toad. From 1949, we're nearly out of the 40s. Mm-hmm. This is the final package film. The final film from what they call the war era, where everything was kind of upset by the war and... Which I'm not necessarily done, ready to be done with the 40s. I love the 40s, but... Well, if you want to record other podcasts from the 40s, I'm sure there's plenty of movies we could find. Oh, boy. <laughs> Just not Disney cartoons. Sure. One thing I found weird, and maybe this is just me, but I, I was like, why is the title reversed? Because Mr. Toad comes before Ichabod. Maybe it flowed better for them, verbally? I mean, probably, but still. I was just like, it just seems weird. Because I expected Legend of Sleepy Hollow to come first because of the title, and it didn't. I don't know, they're both um, memorable phrases. Mm -hmm. This is another one where it was in a very small handful of films that I had not seen. Like, I've seen almost every Disney film, but there's just a very small handful of them that I had not seen, and I was just kind of holding out to watch until we did the podcast. I think I have seen, I know I have seen, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, or at least part of it at some point, because I remembered some of the songs. I don't know that I ever watched it. Maybe maybe once as a child. And I feel like maybe I watched The Wind in the Willows, but even that is hazy. So I think that these were more part of your childhood. Did you watch this version of The Wind in the Willows growing up? Mm -mm, never. Okay, so scratch that. But no, you were having epiphany moments. It was like, I remember this, I remember mm -hmm. this part. I don't know why I remember it. I just know that I had to have seen it at some point, especially the music. I remember right. the music distinctly. It starts out with the song Ichabod and Mr. Toad by the Rhythmares. That is such, <laughs> that is so of the times as far as the name. Yeah, I've never heard of them. I don't think Neither you had Neither could either. I, but, you know, they got creative with titles like that. If you think about, there were a lot of the such and suches, and sometimes they got creative with it. Like another... Probably f more well-known group would be the Modernaires mm. that sang in the 1940s. And later on, well, actually about this time, the chordettes were getting going, but their style was different. And 
I'm, I keep thinking of the Skylarks, but it's not, it doesn't end in airs, and it's not as as out there as the rhythm airs and the modern airs. And mm-hmm. I kind of like that they got creative like that with their, with their names. Mm-hmm. And this is another one, like we previously talked about with Fun and Fancy Free, where they had to find a way to bridge the two stories that they're sticking together, because... They don't really fit together. They I can't don't. think of a thing, a single thing that they have in common. Like they, they, th- they say that the common thing is that they have fabulous characters, but like <laughs> the the time <laughs> setting is totally different. The stories are totally different. Uh-huh. Um, both of them have characters that need to be humbled, but they didn't make that connection. No, and I don't know why they call them fabulous. It just seems. Not the right descriptive word for either of them. Memorable. Maybe maybe more so Mr. Toad because he kind of has style, but like Ichabod is just weird. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't seem fabulous to me. Memorable. Maybe fabulous meant something different back then. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, This is another one where these were started a lot earlier. The idea for Wind in the Wells was actually pitched right after Snow White was released. Mm. So this was kind of in the works since 1938. Which if you think about it, this isn't, this isn't, okay. One of the things that's interesting about them doing Wind in the Wells at this point is that a lot of the people doing the voices of these cartoons lived through the period that it depicts. Mm. And this was only about how around 30 years, 30, 40 years after the story was written. It would have been so relatable, maybe even nostalgic. Mm. <sighs> Things changed so fast when motor cars actually became a thing. And I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on this podcast, but. It's a really interesting concept to think about the people who were young when cars started becoming popular because their world changed so radically and things came, became so much more mechanized and fast-paced for them and of course having to deal with wars and the depression that if you have somebody who was alive in the 1960s and is an older person, if they're griping a lot, they actually do rather deserve pity because their world has been totally turned upside down from what it was in their youth. But these people, they're not looking for pity. They're they're telling the story of how exciting motor cars were at mm-hmm. the time and how Mr. Toad gets in trouble for that. Well, this began like a bunch of the package films as a full movie. It was originally supposed to be a full-length feature. And they started work seriously in 1941. And the people who were working on Bambi, when their jobs finished on Bambi, this is what they moved on to. So, was Ichabod supposed to be a full-length? Or was that just a short? It was originally going to be a full-length feature. Really? Yes. Wow. I think it works just fine as a short. Me too. (laughs) Deal. I feel like in both movies, the the two that have the longer shorts, 
there's one that I would have liked to see longer and one that I'm just fine with it as it is. Mm -hmm. Bongo was that in Fun and Fancy Free and Ichabod, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, is that in Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Sure. But I do feel like Wind in the Willows could have been longer. Absolutely. And here's my thing with their rendition of Wind in the Willows. This is one of my most beloved stories. I read it for therapy. And I'm very familiar with it. They changed a lot. And they condensed a lot. But as somebody who loves this story, I can tell you that they did it in such a way that actually worked mm -hmm. for a cartoon. It does not replace the book. It does give you some of the flavor of the story. But yeah, they could have told the story more accurately and very well if they had given it full length mm -hmm. space. So for the time allotment that they did, what they did made it work. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting if we ever get to do a full series on Wind in the Willows, what you'd think of the one that I grew up with. Because I grew up with, a, I don't remember what year it was made in, but there was an animated version that was much longer than this. That I just, I loved that movie. Does it involve a picnic? I think so. Does the baby otter go missing? I think so. Wow. Uh, did they visit his home, Mole's home in wintertime? I think so. Okay, they, they might actually have a, a prayer. <laughs> There's even a segment that I thought was so weird, but then I read that it was actually from the book where they see Pan. Wow, they were kind of they were hardcore <laughs> with the version that you grew up with then, because that's one of those. It's so out there, but it is part of the book. Mm -hmm. If you want to skip it in the book, you totally can. That's one of the interesting things about Wind in the Willows is that. There are parts, there are one or more chapters that you can read apart from the rest of the book and still enjoy it. Especially the chapter where they visit Mole's home in wintertime. You can practically read it as its own story within the book. So it's a really, it's a really lovely book to just revisit as you wish. Okay, it covers different seasons of the year. Oh, yeah, I can just ramble a lot. I won't right now. I just, yeah. That, that kind of makes sense because I remember we had a book of not not even like abridged versions of stories, but like segments of stories. And I'm fairly certain that I read some of Wind in the Willows from that book when I was a kid. So if there are parts that can be taken out and read alone, I bet that's what was going on there. Which is really... I don't know if it's amazing, but I want to say it's amazing that he could write that whole story and have it fit together for the most part very well, but also have sections that can stand alone. Mm. Um, it's just interesting. But yeah. Uh, yeah, they definitely did change it for this. <laughs> However you want to talk about that, lead the way. Well, we have a little bit more history first. Oh, okay. So this is another one. It was delayed by the strike. And the then the strike. Yeah. And then in 1941, the Bank of America said that they would loan Disney 3.5 million, but he they had to restrict the, the production 
to shorts and only finished features that were already in production, which would be Bambi, Dumbo, and Wind in the Willows. So no other feature films would be worked on until they had finished those and earned back the cost of what they were being loaned. Wow. That's really something that they even loaned them that much money. <laughs> and there were other films that were like in the early stages of production, which would be Alice in Wonderland and Lady and the Tramp. They were in production all the way back then, but they were basically put completely on hold. So, Which you, I suppose the bank looked at them and thought, we can make money off of these people if we do this alone. Because mm -hmm. obviously they would have seen success before this. Mm -hmm. So Wind in the Willows was kept in production at that point. But then, I'm not sure what was finished. But at some point, Disney reviewed the footage and decided that it was too far below quality as to fit his standard. So they kind of shelved it for a while. Wind in the Willows? Yeah. So whatever they had finished... At that point, they put on hold. Even though they'd already done some of it, they put it on hold. Mm. And then they picked it up again in 1946. But at that point, they decided to shorten it down to 25 minutes. This is one where they, they probably just should have kept at it and done it right. I would have preferred that, definitely. Because I think they, they definitely had something. Those, I, I like these characters. I, I think that this is one that I could have grown up watching as a movie if they mm -hmm. had really taken the time to do it right. Mm -hmm. And it is better, it's better, in my opinion, right now, unless proven incorrect, as a cartoon than as a live action, just because of the out there nature of the story. Mm. I haven't ever seen any live action versions. I've seen a bit of one. It was weird. This, since since you have creatures that are alive and human-like, trying to portray that in humans can get weird. Mm. So, I can imagine. Yeah. Someday we'll have to find whichever one that is. Uh, it was it a PBS one, and I just remember Toad being kind of weird, and <laughs> it's not like they were wearing a mask. It, well, I, I don't I don't know that he I don't know if he even had makeup. I I, I don't know. It was just I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> so at the time when they tr decided to trim it down to twenty five minutes, they were already working on the Legend of Happy Valley, which we talked about as Mickey and the Beanstalk, and they were also working on something called the Gremlins. What? This was an original short story by Roald Dahl. <laughs> uh, that title sounds familiar, yeah. So they were going to, uh, at that point, they were envisioning Wind in the Willows, The Legend of Happy Valley, and The Gremlins as a movie by themselves. It was going to be called Three Fabulous Characters. There's that word fabulous again. Okay. And Maybe we need to Google the word fabulous. <laughs> at some point, The Gremlins didn't end up making it very far into production, so they changed the title to Two Fabulous Characters. And that would be Legend of Happy Valley with Bongo. And I'm not sure why, but then they changed the title to Fun and Fancy Free and paired Wind in the Willows with The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which they had started in production as a full-length feature. And then, I don't know why they decided to change that one into a short, but... It was apparently an ever-evolving process. Yes, definitely. I guess they just decided it didn't have enough material to be a full-length feature for them. Probably trying to work and make stuff look as normal as possible under the bank restrictions. Probably. 
So anyway, that's how you eventually got to the pairings that we did. I don't think that the pairings are that great, but... For a $3.5 million loan, they'll do just <laughs> fine. Yeah. So then we get into the main story of Mr. Toad, The Wind in the Willows. And here they have Basil Rathbone narrating, who is a prominent English actor. I recognize the name. I'm not completely familiar with him. I know he played Sherlock Holmes. Okay, cool. Um, I think he was Shakespearean actor, too. I don't know a whole lot about him. I just recognize the name. I know he was very famous at that time. Good. And then they also got Bing Crosby for Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I guess they were banking on star power. Maybe. He which, did just fine. Which, that's something that continues to this day with animated films. They try and get big stars to pull in the adults. I I guess before I maybe have any kind of inclination to throw stones, which I don't know how much I do, I, it would be, in, yeah, it's good to think back. Yeah, they've been doing this for a long time. Mm -hmm. Nelson Eddy and the Whale. That is, yeah, that's true. People always talk about, like, Aladdin being the first one where they got a big star with Robin Williams voicing the genie, but really... It, no. It, it's older than that. <laughs> yeah, as this proves. <laughs> I, think, I think Aladdin might have kicked off a wave of, like, people using that to market the film very strongly because, like, oh. DreamWorks started kind of aping that by getting other big stars, and then using them in their trailers. Like, we've got this guy and I, this lady, and we're doing this. And Have you ever seen it where it wasn't prominent, though, on these? Um, I feel like Dinosaur was prominent enough. I th and I think, I feel like maybe there's two periods. Like, the early period of them doing this, and then they were marketed a lot on, like, the posters. Because if you look at old posters of this, they have their names in big letters. And then I wonder if the practice kind of went down a little while. Because you still had big stars in animated films. They, I, It's just not that... They were probably prosperous enough that it didn't matter. Probably. Because you think about when they're first starting, they're not as well known. So it probably they probably don't have as many people that would be super well known. So you're not going to have that factor. And then in this period where they're struggling, they're like... Look, we got this famous person. Come, please watch it. It's probably part of the deal there. That is true, because after this period, you don't have the star power at Disney. Like, they, they were banking more on their stories. Because then you get into Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty. Well, they probably had plenty of money to go back and just be focused on their creativity as yeah. the selling point. Yeah, that's true. Because I never really thought about it as far as different eras of Disney's company where the voice actors were prominent. But the next period after the package films, I can't really think of anybody who was like a huge star that would have been marketed as such. Because they they went back to the Snow White model where they didn't have the famous star. They were just, this is an, a piece of art that you're going to see. Sure. Sure. Hmm. Something to think about. Yeah. Anyways, I guess we can actually get into the story of the Wind in the Willows <laughs> at this point. <laughs> you have the intro of Toad, Badger, Rat, and Mole telling about their backstory and how Toad is prone to manias. 
Yes, which by mania, they mean, like, being really excited about a new hobby. Like an obsession, yes, you would say these not, days. Yes, not, not mental illness. <laughs> yes. Now, as far as the characters went, they described Rat as stuffy, and they made him look like a little Sherlock Holmes character. He is different in the book, mm. and... I love his character in the book. His character is already, let's say he's grounded. He loves his home and he he's he's sensible mm-hmm. and he's kind and he is more blunt, but he's also a good-natured person. Mole, I feel like they actually even though he says little or nothing on here, they actually did a pretty good job of portraying his character from the book because Mole is more of a sensitive, poetic little fellow. <laughs> and then they changed Badger too, but we can get to that. <laughs> I was wondering about that because I didn't remember Badger being Scottish. Like in here, they keep calling him Mac Badger. What? I didn't no. remember that from the version that no. I saw. No. Badger is an awesome character kind of like winnie the pooh which if you haven't read the originals people go read them they're amazing they show different types of people in a really fun way and badger on here his accent didn't sound real to me and i looked it up and the guy voicing him was from california (laughs) but for children and for adults who don't care as much (laughs) it's it's okay It's just, yeah, he's making it up. It starts in the house and you have a postman coming to the door. That's one of the things about the book is that you do have this weird exchange between humanity and creatures like they're all kind of human. But at the same time, there's a lot of separation between the animals and the humans. And here they put them together in ways that the book's that the book didn't have them together. So there was no mailman coming to the door. But here he does. And the rat with the large mustache and man hands gets <laughs> his piece of mail. Yeah, they all had man hands. That was weird. <laughs> like you could have given him sort of a paw. Yeah. You don't have to put little rat claws on him or anything. <laughs> but Just make it cuter. Or yeah, give him, you could give him cute rat claws. <laughs> yeah the intersection of the animals and humans felt off to me i guess it's from the book so that's fine but it just felt they did it in a way that was different from the book but even if they'd stuck to the book it might have still been a little bit weird because the book is a little bit weird yeah or maybe a lot of it weird (laughs) i guess for me not being as familiar as you with the book it just felt kind of weird having this giant mailman show up at the door. It wasn't in the book, so you can feel okay about that weirdness. And uh, they changed the, the timeline because in the book, when Mole and Ratty first... When Mole goes to meet Toad with Ratty for the first time, he is into this mania of having... A carriage or caravan, It, I can't remember the, the name of it right now, of where it's basically early 1900s RV, okay? <laughs> okay, had, that makes sense. Yeah, 
he has a bunch of foodstuffs in there and he wants them to go on an adventure. Another thing about this book, horses don't talk. Horses are like regular horses. I don't know why, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> on here, the horse becomes the central character and is voiced by J. Pat O'Malley, which you will recognize from... He was all over the place as a bit actor, and he was in more than one Disney film, so you're probably going to recognize his voice. I think he was one of the Baddens on 101 Dalmatians, mm. and he just, he got around. Um, one of the things that is nice about this version, even though they didn't do this for Badgers, they have more than one British actor doing voices. But no, uh... They changed the timeline and his financial troubles because Badger, Ratty, and Molly are going to get together and reform him after he's already wrecked, like, six vehicles. Mm. <laughs> Whereas they started out where he's still in his cart mania <laughs> and Badger is trying to rectify his finances. Because of all the damage he's caused with only a cart. <laughs> And who knows what else. It's reckless spending. But no, really, the the financial issues come with his car mania. And he refuses to ha hire somebody to drive him, you know. He wants that adventure himself. Mm -hmm. But no, here they try to keep him in his room and he gets out. And he's accused of stealing a car which had already been stolen by weasels. And he's trying to buy this stolen car off of the weasels. That's not how it happened in the book. He actually stole a car from one or two men. But it wasn't so much necessarily stealing as just getting into the car, getting overly excited and taking off with it. So yes, it was stealing, but it wasn't like total... It wasn't like a forethought crime. It was, was malice It was it. more like a stupid 12... A very a foolish, juvenile, overexcited thing to do. Mm. Not really malicious. Just not good. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like they were trying to tie this into something that happened in the book. Because while he's in jail, weasels and stoats and who knows what the, the, the sort of sneaky creatures from the forest do take over his house. But they had nothing to do with the vehicle robbery. They just thought that they could get away with it. In this version, it's like they're tying those two things together by involving them in with the mm -hmm. motor car. But they have also this shady barkeeper. Whose name is Winky. Yes, who was totally not in the, <laughs> totally not in the book. But they tie him in as like, falsely accusing Toad of trying to sell him a stolen motor car. It mm -hmm. got... It's okay if you don't totally keep up with this, people. <laughs> they, they, they were making it work within that time frame, but it's not accurate to the book. Yeah, they basically had Toad trade his home for this car. Which I am happy to say was not a thing in the book. I don't know which is worse... <laughs> It's just I think I think trading your home for a car is worse than getting overly excited and just I'm gonna go for a joyride. Woo! They're both terrible, but <laughs> I don't know. No, he was attached to he was proud of his wealth. 
And I don't think it's really in line with his character to do that. Mm. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He thought he was really hot stuff. <laughs> that's, that's why he would steal the motor car. He's just too excited, too big for his britches. Yeah. And it takes a lot for him to learn his lesson in the book, as in this cartoon. And even then, he might, I think he learned his lesson probably more in the book than in this cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, he ends up going to jail, and this is something that we kind of stopped and talked about. In the newspaper headline, jail is spelled G-A-O-L, and apparently that is from the book, too. Yes, and it's a Britishism. Jail and jailer... When I was reading it, the book, I wanted to read it as goal or goalers, but no, you just pronounce it as jail and jailer. And they changed that a lot, too. The whole jail thing. Well, in in this point, you see a lot of headlines. And you mentioned when we talked about Funny Fancy Free about headlines. I actually did write some of these headlines down. I suppose I should have gone back and done it for that one as well. But... There was just one that stood out to me, so I went back and wrote down a few more. For most of them, it was sort of normal, like, bad headlines. They're talking about digging up a body to investigate a murder. They're talking about badminton championships. There's one that says, Reconstruction follows storm in Puerto Rico. Victory cited in fight against yellow fever. But then you have one that says, Lightning bolt kills two, hurts several others, which was weird. And then the one that really stood out to me... Meteorite falls near baby. <laughs> <laughs> that was just somebody being cheeky. Apparently. It like, just it really stood me. I bet that they were I bet they were like I wonder if they took some actual headlines and then when they got to that one the, the person's just giggling at their desk like, yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> stick this one in the paper. I could see myself doing something like that. I wondered about that. Maybe they are real ones because they most of them, like I said, sounded like real headlines like i could see reconstruction follow storm in puerto rico as a real headline oh yeah so they probably were looking at an actual newspaper and then needed to fill out the rest were tired baby. okay we're done <laughs> <laughs> who knows but no one thing even though he was totally guilty his friends were sympathetic with him and didn't want him to be in jail what I remember of all my reading of that book. Mm -hmm. I think maybe even more sympathetic in the book than in this cartoon. Obviously, Mole is just sympathetic, period. But mm -hmm. I think Ratty was more sympathetic in the book. Yeah, because he's talking about Toad having to pay his debt to society or something in this version. Yeah. No, they give a very... In the book, it's they give a very dramatic description of the jail, I think it's probably even more dramatic than this cartoon. But they have his horse coming to rescue him out of jail. His, ho his horse is dressed up and says that he is his grandmother. Yeah, why not? <laughs> in reality, it's probably just as weird in the book because the jailer's daughter shows compassion on Toad Toad thinks that the jailer's daughter is into him, mistakenly. <laughs> <laughs> but she hatches a plan to get Toad out of there by disguising her, her him as a washerwoman. 
and Toad is offended at first. And he's like, I, I think it's her aunt. And Toad's like, I have a very fine figure for what I am. And well, my <laughs> aunt has a very fine figure for what she is. And <laughs> Something like that. Um, and, you know, to treating him like he's ungrateful. and But that's how that goes down. That's mm -hmm. why he ends up disguising himself as a washerwoman. And it's very silly. And it's funny. But this worked for this without putting humans back into it since they wanted to make this horse such a character in here. <laughs> yeah, the horse's name is Cyril. Why not? It's just random. I can't remember if the horse had a name in the book or not. There's more than one horse, but that particular horse from the cart, I can't remember. Either way, he does escape, and this goes down differently. <laughs> well, the way he escapes, they describe it as him having a new mania, which is escape, because he goes insane once he gets out. <laughs> yes and no. He is far more human when he does escape, because he has these moments of triumph and despair. Well, that's true. It's about, like, at the beginning... Because he's, like, sneaking through the streets, and then there's this policeman that stops him. He didn't have a huge ball bearing or whatever attached the, to the his... The ball and chain. Yeah, he didn't have a ball and chain attached to his leg. He What happens here is he sort of keeps getting caught in places where... Well, he's he's caught before he even gets there, but he's getting away even though he's been discovered outside of the jail... Which they did know that he had escaped, but there's this whole scene in the book where he thinks that he has his money on him when he goes to catch a train and then discovers that he doesn't. Whereas here, they just have him stealing a train. <laughs> and <laughs> That's what I meant when I said he went insane. <laughs> and in the book, he gives this whole sob story to the train engineer about how he's this poor washerwoman and the children are at home and they'll be playing with matches and <laughs> and he has compassion on her quote unquote and give is giving her a free ride and then the police are chasing in a separate train that so they did have the police chasing him on the cartoon as well but they left out the conductor character and in the book the conductor doesn't know what's going on and Toad basically throws himself on his mercy and the conductor being sort of an independent independent maybe a little bit ornery minded person decides that he's going to help Toad and he tells him a spot where he's going to slow down and Toad can escape into the woods whereas that doesn't happen Toad ends up jumping into like a river Mm -hmm. And the train keeps going on empty, so whereas, that train is probably going to end up crashing and killing somebody. Whereas Toad has all of these adventures post-train of trying to get a ride with a barge woman, and the barge woman can tell that he's a phony, and he steals the barge, barge woman's horse, and then he sells the horse for food, and at some point, he gets a ride from two people in a motor car, which are the same people that he stole a motor car off of and went to jail for. They think that he's just a little old lady or something and let him drive. And he gets all... Well, he acts kind of crazy. 
and tells them who he is as he's driving fast, I think he might crash that car into a pond. This is all before going to Ratty's house. Whereas in this version, it's 25 minutes. He jumps off into the river and looks like he's going to die. It's yeah, winter this, time. They have this slow scene of him like dramatically grasping above the water, trying to escape because he's got the ball and chain on him still. And it was like, they just kill Toad? <laughs> It didn't look good, but he makes his way to Ratty and Molly's abode. <laughs> it's kind of funny because they're having Christmas dinner and they're praying for Toad. And Molly's like, and may he get good time off for good behavior. Just as the door flings open and he falls in. Having escaped from prison and stolen a train, which is the very opposite of good behavior. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I... But I, I don't know when he would have ever gotten out in the book. They were being very dramatic about it. But no, really, in the book, they were already trying to guard. They were they were already spying on Toad's house that had been taken over. And anyway, they were, you know, out in all weathers. They were very loyal friends. Whereas mm -hmm. here, Ratty's acting like Toad needs to go back to jail, which was not a thing in the in the book and on the cartoon there's kind of a cute scene where Badger shows up and it's acting like what what is it that Toad's innocence can be proven and I think wishing that he was there and then Toad falls in his lap oh yeah <laughs> no um Badger comes in to say that he has seen the weasels at Toad's house and he's somehow found out that they have the deed so it turns out it was true Toad did trade his right, house for the car. basically proving his innocence, quote-unquote. Mm -hmm. Even though, to me, stealing a train is far worse than stealing a car. <laughs> well, probably, yeah. The if you're leaving it to hurtle off into oblivion. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> so, when Badger comes in, Toad just, he's just said he's not afraid of the police, and then he's terrified when there's knocking at the door. And he hides in the Christmas tree... And Badger comes in and tells them he's figured all this stuff out. And that if they can get the deed back, they can prove his innocence. And he only wishes the Toad were there. And then Toad falls out of the tree into his arms. Yes. And the look on his face, <laughs> the way he crosses his arms and smiles up at him, <laughs> that just cracked me up. <laughs> but now there's this whole quest to go get Toad Hall back, which did happen in the book, but there is more of a... I think more, they're more armed. They're ready for a battle. Mm. And well, Toad is armed in this version because he has a shotgun and wants to kill the weasel that's on guard. Yeah, I don't know that <laughs> he had a shotgun in the book. Toad was already in a slightly... He still had his pride, but he was already in a bit of a debased position. Badger knew things... Badger was the adult. He knew Toad's father, and he knew of a secret passageway that Toad didn't know about in the book. I, th I don't think that they really did it like this in the cartoon. And I, I think, think there was a secret passageway, but they didn't make it obvious that it was a secret, because they had this guard follow after the shotgun, and they'd push this button that flipped a wall around. Whereas it was like this almost a rebuke to Toad that Badger knew about this and not Toad because Toad was not 
mature enough. He was not always trustworthy. It, you know, he was just an irresponsible, proud fellow. No, they they went in swinging. And in the book, it is the head weasel's birthday. And I think they had a habit of singing offensive songs about Toad. <laughs> <laughs> but here, it's Winky's celebration somehow. I don't remember if there was a specific celebration or not. They just say that the weasels are all drunk and asleep. And Winky is asleep with the deed for some reason. <laughs> was there a certain thing in the book that they were trying to get back? Because here it's the quest for the deed. Was there a... No. In the book, it was just that Toad was back, so it was time to flush everybody out that okay. didn't belong there. Okay. So they... I think Mole went in swinging with some kind of cudgel or something. I can't, I'd have to look it up to see who all had what. But before they even went in, I think Badger probably thought he was overdoing it. Rat was making all of these piles of weapons, you know. <laughs> I think a pistol and, and maybe a cutlass and belts and... Yes, Ratty was a prepared fellow. <laughs> yeah, here you have their... Like we said, it's a quest for the deed. So they're trying to get this deed back. They inadvertently end up waking everybody up. And then you have all these mini fights and chases going on. Antics. Yes. Cartoon antics. And something that I didn't notice immediately, but it seemed familiar. And then I was listening to a different podcast and they pointed this out. And I was like, yeah, that I can see that. In this scene, you have all these animals with the deed running back and forth, grabbing it from each other, and then running across the screen. The animation in this scene was recycled in the Jungle Book. Because during that period in like the 60s and 70s, they would recycle scenes by drawing over them with new characters, but recycling the movements, basically. Did they recycle it in Robin Hood? There were some scenes... Oh, I don't because know there's some running back and forth in, in Robin Hood as well. They might have. But that those two in particular are two that are cited as having a lot of recycled animation in them. But this scene was recycled in the scene with the monkeys and Mowgli. So you had people running back and forth grabbing Mowgli instead of grabbing the deed. Okay. Interesting. Just kind of a little Easter egg for Disney fans to look for. Okay. Oh yeah, that was another thing that was mentioned at the beginning on the road with the horse and the cart, that there were two hidden Mickeys mm. in the road. Yeah. Which turned out to be stones. I thought that there were actually going to be Mickeys. No, when people talk about hidden Mickeys and things, it's usually three nearly circular objects together, kind of hidden in the background. It's like the, the Mickey logo, like two circles for the ears and a circle for the head. So kind of like a little artist signature. Yes. It's not it's not usually like Mickey the character, it's more like Mickey the logo. Alright. Good to know. Anyways, they finally get the deed by disguising it with paper airplanes. The deed gets folded up and flown around and then they throw in decoy paper planes. It was kind of a cute touch. Yes, I liked that. <laughs> and they get out, they have the deed, Toad is exonerated. Apparently they don't care about this train that he left to speed off and crash into something mm. <laughs> in the next county. Whatever. But apparently Toad is completely reformed. 
Well, <laughs> what, of just not wanting cars? Uh, the, the, I don't, apparently, because completely reformed, and then in the next scene, he and Cyril are flying an airplane over the house, knocking off a chimney, apparently, because there's, like, rocks falling from past the window. <laughs> Which, in the book, his manias are a real thing, but it ends with cars. One of the weird things about this is almost like while they're in the animal world, like they're not involved with people. It's like once he's back at his house, he's it's like he's untouchable mm -hmm. from the law, which doesn't totally make sense. But it's its own world, Wind in the Willows is. And one of the big points was once he got back, after all of the naughty things that he had done... <laughs> He wanted to have a party, and he was just known as this big personality, and people liked to hear him mouth off in his personality. Mouth off is probably the wrong word, but just, you know, be dramatic and a storyteller, I suppose. And so he was going to have a party and act like himself at this party, and his friends were like, no, you don't. And there's this part in the book where he gives this last arrogant, self-praising speech, I think in his bedroom, probably to some chairs, and sort of gets it out of his system that way. And when he has his party, he refuses to give off his big, windy, self-praising speeches, even though they want him he has friends that still want him to act like that. So in that sense, it's like he's finally turning into a responsible grown-up who mm. isn't constantly all about, look at how great I am, I'm amazing. So that's one of the big points of the original story, if not the big point. But I think that there are other points in the story. But that is the point of Toad's reform, that he actually become more humble and, I think, responsible. Mm. Whereas with this one, they just wanted to make it crazy and funny at the end. Well, I guess it is a natural progression because you have this cart at the beginning leading away to a motor car, which leads to a, an airplane. Whereas in the book, the natural progression is, you've been bad. Get your stuff together. <laughs> Come on. Already, get your stuff together, and he finally gets his stuff together. Okay. Well, I guess that's all for Wind in the Willows, because that's where that story ends. And one little aside. Toad was very, very good at, if he was reprimanded enough, to act all teary and penitent, and maybe even feel that for a short while, and then turn right around and act like a total airhead again. So that was another thing. It was a big deal for him at the end to actually start acting mature. <laughs> Mm. Anyway, on to Ichabod. Yeah, you have the narration from Basil Rathbone leading into narration from Bing Crosby. Bing! The voice of the 40s. One thing I forgot to mention at the beginning was, like we talked about with Fun and Fancy Free, these two shorts were cut apart and used separately in different things. The thing that I found kind of interesting that you probably would find interesting too is that the wind in the willows was paired with an edited version of the reluctant dragon the cartoon part oh because 
Kenneth Graham wrote both of those stories, and I didn't even realize that. I don't know if I knew that either. Yeah. That would make more sense, even though they're very different from each other, but they're both mm -hmm. silly sort of fantastical stories mm -hmm. with fabulous characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the Ichabod segment was aired on Disneyland, which is a TV series. And it was and what, just... What were those the years on that? I don't remember the years, but I think it was like 50s and 60s. Oh, okay. 60s for sure. Not my childhood, basically. No, no. This is when Walt Disney was still alive because he would host the show. Hmm. So it had a 14-minute prologue, apparently. Ichabod? Yeah, with Walt Disney hosting. So I don't know if that's what I saw because I know I saw something... With Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I mean, not that you couldn't do a 14-minute prologue, but the cartoon isn't that long in and of itself. The cartoon yeah. isn't isn't that long, so I wonder what all they found to talk about. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure, another, I'm sure there's plenty, but... That's another thing I've said before. I would like some of these more historical things to be added in, maybe as bonus features, or just add the whole Disneyland TV series so that we could see this. But then the Wind in the Willows segment was re-released as a short called The Madcap Adventures of Mr. Toad, for some reason. Okay. <laughs> and it accompanied the feature film Hot Lead and Cold Feet. I take it that involves cars? I don't know. It's a Disney film from the 70s. I, th I feel like it was a western, but I don't know anything about oh, it. Oh, well then that's so fitting. What? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was also re-aired as a TV special around Halloween. There was like a Halloween Hall of Fame and Disney's Halloween treat. Maybe that's what I saw. Like, I remember seeing something, like I said. I wonder if I they ever played the skeleton dance from the 1920s during those. I would assume so. Because I, I, I know that that, you know, maybe that would have been something. Because I remember the skeleton dance being on one of those tapes that Uncle Dan would make for me. I never watched that. I've only read about it on Wikipedia. It's, prob it? it's probably not that scary, is it? No, it's the skeletons dancing around and playing each other like xylophones. And people <laughs> back then thought it was hilarious. If you, <laughs> re if you read newspaper accounts of this, I don't know if they said a laugh a minute or what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, but it was amusing. <laughs> I think they mentioned it on the Wikipedia article, just thinking this was so funny. Like, okay. Hmm. Yeah, people change. So, like I said, I remembered The Legend of Sleepy Hollow from something. I don't remember for what, from I what. I might have, but it wasn't until the night that we were actually going to watch this together that my sister gave me more of a rundown of the actual plot line of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, and I found out that the Headless Horseman is actually a real dude pretending to be a Headless Horseman. <laughs> I thought this was way darker than it actually was. Instead of a moral cautionary tale about being a toady gold digger, um, yeah, I thought it was actually a, a horror-type mm -hmm. story. Yeah, I don't know what I expected it to be either, because I didn't remember... I, I, I remembered that there might have been some question as to the horseman's identity. Like, was he real? Was he not real? But I also thought I remembered that Ichabod was a nice character. 
But he totally isn't. No, like, there aren't really any nice characters in here, except for the cute chubby girl. <laughs> like, even if you think about it, Katrina's not that great either. Because I, what, the second time I watched it, I started making notes of things that was said about her in the song, and different little visual cues. Well, let's talk about <laughs> that. It starts out, this is basically, are any voices besides maybe a goofy scream or something, were any voices done by anyone other than Bing? The only one that I could tell was the giggling of the little chubby girl. Unless that was Bing. <laughs> Good job, Bing. Good job. But this is one of those where all the narration and the songs are done by one person, basically. And Bing, he's kind of soothing. He's Bing is Bing. If you know Bing's voice, then just pay attention and you'll pick up on it really quickly. And um, they start out basically with a song about how strange-looking Ichabod is. And yet... He has this power over people, especially women, to somehow charm them, which is interesting. The, the weird thing about this was, part of, part of this is on purpose. Part of it, I don't know if it's just me reading too much into it, but it seemed like the beginning of Beauty and the Beast. Except weird. <laughs> because... Really? Yeah, because you have this outsider in the town that is being sung about... That everybody thinks is so weird. <laughs> and he has his nose literally stuck in a book, like Belle. And this wow, part... Wow, look at you. This part is on purpose, definitely, because they said so. When they designed Gaston for Beauty and the Beast, they based him on Brom Bones. <laughs> and you know what? When Didn't I make a comment about Gaston when he came along? You might have. I feel like I did, but I didn't realize that there was an actual connection. Mm -hmm. They literally based Gaston on Brown Bones. Uh, yeah, okay. Totally believable. <laughs> yeah, so there's just... And then, I, what, I think I said something about it, and I think my sister was saying that, he, oh no, he's a good character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, some of that is maybe me reading too much into it, like the connection to Ichabod, but... Why Part not? of it was on purpose, definitely. Why not? It's something for people to think about while they're watching it. <laughs> I didn't. I, d I don't think I thought about it the first time I watched it. I think I was more fixated on how critical the song was of his appearance. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Like, as mu for as much as the song talks about him being a weirdo, though, for some reason, ladies love him. <laughs> he had the ability to charm them, and they also did a total... <laughs> Bing cameo because they yeah. had him singing in Bing's style. Yeah, they did. The, like, for as much as Bing is like the voice of every character, Bing is definitely the voice of Ichabod. Yes. Because of that one scene, like, that has to be the reason that the ladies love him. I don't know if you could categorize it as scat, but it's, it's, it's Bing. So maybe you can insert a little clip. <laughs> That has to be the only reason, because otherwise there's not a whole lot about him to love. <laughs> like, his other attributes are that he, 
is obsessed with food. Like, you have this one scene of him, he's a school teacher, so he's in school, he's like peering into all the kids' lunchboxes, deciding who, whose mothers have made the best food. Well, like, they, one of them was drawing an insulting picture of yeah. him, like a bird, but he could tell that that kid's mother was a good cook, and so he didn't punish him, and then he ended up going to the house and getting good food. Yeah, because you have this quick scene of him seeing this ugly picture of him that this kid is drawing of him as a weird bird, and he's, like, raising his stick. He's about to hit the kid, <laughs> and then he spots the kid's lunch, and he's like, ooh, <laughs> and he stops. Here's the thing. He was probably viewed as probably a very moral person. Like, he works with kids, um, maybe as an intellectual, and then if you can be socially charming, mm -hmm. also the village might have had slim pickings from the from the look <laughs> of the villagers. There's probably low, maybe not as much to choose from. But anyway, women can get taken in by interesting characters. Um, well, they were taken in by him for sure. Yeah, so. Yeah, Maybe he was viewed as, like, a cultured, char like, socially charming person. And you could probably look past some of the physical things mm. because of that. Well, you do get a glimpse of his social calendar. It says social calendar on this. And it's full of things where you can tell he's going to food-related events. But the one that stood out to me was the ladies tatting and chatting. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. My mother tats, so I know about that. I kind of doubt that Ichabod was tatting, but I suppose you never know. You never know, and that could have just been even more charming. It could have been. Um, tatting, for those who might not know, it's a way of making lace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's, it's like crocheting, but even fancier. It's intense. It's tiny, and I started to learn, and I don't always have this reaction with crafts, but it's like, I could go buy lace. <laughs> 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 so... Oh, my mother, bless her, is very patient with it. Mm -hmm. Also on his social calendar at the bottom, it has the Ladies of Sleepy Hollow Coral Society. And then you go to this coral society, and there's this sound <laughs> coming from this building. <laughs> it sounds like a screaming train whistle, but it turns out it's the ladies singing. <laughs> But then it turns into far more put-together singing. Yes. And then, what's the guy's, the other, the, the burly guy, what's his Brown name? Bones. How's it spelled? B-R-A-H-M, I believe. So, like, Brom yeah. Bones? Wow, okay. So, Mr. Brom Bones is already starting to pull tricks on him because he, I think he makes a cat make a noise and Ichabod thinks that it's him. Well, the, he, he makes a dog howl for something. Oh, okay, something. okay. And the ladies all faint at this noise because they think it came from Ichabod. And they're in love with this dog howling sound. <laughs> this is unreasonable. Yes. And also, once they faint, he just kind of steps over them and goes and starts eating salad with a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of those people that absolutely has the metabolism of a hummingbird because he can Apparently. just eat and eat and eat and nothing stays on him. Hmm. But then he's off having a picnic with one of the ladies, but a new person comes to town. And who, briefly makes eyes with him while he's on a date with this other girl and suddenly he forgets all about her. Because he's such a nice person. 
Yeah. And this other girl, she's basically she's made the object of ridicule in this, but I thought she was cute. Not in like an attractive, hot cute, but just like she's cute. And nice. Yes. And a good cook. And they act like she's hideous because like later in the show, Brom looks at her and shudders. It's a very 1940s depiction of uh, womanly attraction. Yeah. She, the the hot girl, <laughs> the very attractive girl who comes along. Katrina Van Tassel. Is, you know, curved in the style of cartoons with uh, beyond anorexic waist. But the song says that she's plump as a partridge. But she's <laughs> not. Like, that's more like the woman he just jilted on their date. Yeah. The song also says that... <laughs> I don't understand this. Ripe, melting, and rosy-cheeked. What kind of a description is melting? <laughs> I think I can sort of guess what they're talking about. Probably like... Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure how to put it into words, but probably talking about... And I'm guessing. Like her face. Maybe I would guess... Full lips, um, very, very ni nice, natural color, probably dewy and just like, you are a luscious hunk of womanhood. <laughs> and for the original story, if I should have read the original story probably to go with this, maybe she was actually plump and rosy. Whereas this is 1940s depiction of womanhood in cartoons. Yeah. So, whatever. <laughs> and her daddy's rich. Yes. So, the other guys, I don't, they don't really depict them as lusting after the wealth more than just, oh, she's so pretty, let's do mm -hmm. whatever she wants. Whereas Ichabod starts fantasizing not just about this pretty girl but even more so about the money and that's mm -hmm. where the sympathy just yeah, flies exactly. out the window <laughs> that's what i thought too like he i was sort of on his side until his fantasies about her turned into fantasies about her father's money right and i was like okay i don't care about this guy anymore <laughs> let the headless horseman have him <laughs> <laughs> whereas brown bones he's a big burly, not bad looking dude. Yeah, that's another thing I thought. Like, he's the first supposedly hot guy in these Disney cartoons. That's a that's decent, decent looking. looking. <laughs> the rest have been so, hideous. So she's a specimen of womanhood. He's a specimen of manhood. And they actually seem like a decent pairing. She seems a little bit vapid. Well, the this is something that I only picked up in the second viewing. Like, for the most part, in the first viewing, I just saw her as this guy or this girl who kind of liked Ichabod because he was different. But once I watched it the second time, I started picking up on other things, specifically the lyrics in the song, which go, Katrina will kiss and run. To her, the romance is fun. There's always another one. So she's basically playing them off each other. Well, think about it. She had all of those guys following mm -hmm. her around. She, Doing everything for she her. She didn't mind. She was basically in a privileged, privileged position where she was pretty and she could get 
everybody to chase her and do what she wanted. Mm-hmm. And she was just having fun in that little flaky state of being. Mm-hmm. That's another reason why Brown Bones was probably good for her because he would probably be a little bit more steady, sensible, not necessarily the most deep person on the planet, but he could help to ground her a little bit more and, you know, end that flaky phase of her life, probably. (laughs) Well, at the beginning, when he's, like, chasing her, I, I, I interpreted her actions as she didn't like him at all. But on the second watch, I think I'm picking up that she did like him. She just wanted him to work harder for him, and she was kind of using Ichabod. Sure. She didn't like how he could clear the field. Yeah, I think and that was a lyric he, She in probably there. felt like she was used to everybody chasing her, and he obviously was a confident person. Was like, no, I want to be in a relationship with you. And yeah, they were both probably kind of proud people but he was probably way more of an adult than she was <laughs> in some ways in some Later ways on, in some ways less and less so but either way they're more suited to each other probably, than yes. than her and Ichabod yeah. like they can both be sort of immature but they're more suited to each other mm-hmm. and Ichabod's getting in the way and he's not good for her yeah especially since apparently most of what he cares about is her father's money But he figured that she would be willing to marry him, even. He figured that she was his for the taking. Yeah. And Brombos did not want that to happen. No. And then this is where he starts getting... I mean, before this, he was kind of ridiculous and jokey. And then you get to the point in this party where he's... I feel like he becomes almost straight up a bad person. (laughs) Because... There's a Halloween party, and, well, first of all, there's this dance, and Ichabod is eating while dancing, and he's licking his fingers and still dancing, and I'm just thinking, Katrina's hands are going to be so gross. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like the 21st century thought, like, ow, ew, it's a napkin. But, of course, back in the day, if somebody had chicken fingers, chicken grease on their fingers, and they're grabbing, it probably did happen, and be like, oh, mm. Yeah. Well, you have Brom sitting on the sidelines, and this is where he shudders looking at the sad, chubby girl. And then he basically decides to use her to get to Katrina, which... It was messed up. Yeah. This I mean, is one of those things of where the the one girl was so excited to be dancing with him, and he basically throws her in a room at some point. Mm-hmm. He, like, straight up chucks her across the room and locks the door. But, thankfully, they had her totally oblivious and still chasing him because yeah, she thinks it's a game because in real life that would be absolutely horrible <laughs> yeah, that's what i thought <laughs> like i'm just using you to get at the girl that i actually want and i'm gonna lock you in a room go away mm-hmm. yeah. yeah but no in this she was more like a puppy that did not understand how things were working yeah she thinks that this is courtship maybe i, I don't, don't know. know i don't know Anyways, once the dance is over, you get to midnight, and they start telling ghost stories. And apparently Ichabod is superstitious, and Brom Bones knows this. So he tells the story of this headless horseman. Which Katrina kept giggling, like she did not take it seriously, but Ichabod did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ichabod is terrified. 
And also, there was this weird mini scene, not even a scene, just like a brief shot of this guy at the party who looked like a vampire. <laughs> I missed that. I mean, not like a vampire vampire, but like he was like pale and skinny and sunken eyes. He looked like Dracula or Nosferatu or something. Just like, okay. It was just a brief shot. I was like, what? what who is this? What was the point? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But they have this song, and the song is just, like, jazzy and fun. <laughs> and it's supposed to be this terrifying tale. And it works on Ichabod. It terrifies him. But I was thinking, like, who who would be scared of this? This is just a fun song. <laughs> um, If I was in a semi-lit room and somebody was singing a song on Halloween about a place that I had to cross over to get home being haunted by, I guess the, un true. by the undead that want to steal my head. I didn't mean to rhyme there, but <laughs> I might not be too comfortable. I certainly wouldn't be comfortable probably anyway. I know I wouldn't be comfortable. Story or no story, going home in the wee smas on a horse through a wood. Mm. <sighs> no. Don't try this at home, people. Yeah. <laughs> they probably would have had to, though, back then. But hopefully they would have had the sense to go in groups. Well, in that area, they may or may not have had wild animals that would be a danger to you in the middle of the night. It's just a bad idea. Mm -hmm. Partying that late while having to go through woods to get home. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the <laughs> I'm maybe overthinking <laughs> that one, but... No, you're probably right. I just thought that the jazzy tune was not fitting the lyrics. But it fit Bing's voice, so... That's true. It was a very Bing song. Yes. Jazzing up the 1700s or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically the song is telling about the Headless Horseman. He's this guy who lost his head and he's going to take somebody else's head. But the key lyrics for Ichabod are, once you cross that bridge, my friend, the ghost is through, his power ends. So it's basically setting up that you can get to this point, and then you're fine. But if the ghost is not exactly a ghost, you're not going to be fine once you get to that point. So he's going home, and he's now got this in his head. So this whole scene of him walking through the woods is... Actually, for what it is, I think it's really well done. There was no music at the beginning, which I really liked, and I wish they'd kept that for the whole scene. No music would be a lot more effective. But you have this atmospheric soundscape that they have created of mm -hmm. all these noises, and I really liked that at the beginning with no music, just walking through it. They built it up so well. And it reminded me of the scene in Snow White where she's running through the woods and she's just imagining things. Mm. Like the eyes and like in Snow White there's like a crocodile, I believe. I feel like there's another scene in a Disney movie where somebody's whistling. I know there is. You're whistling and trying to be brave and then it's harder to whistle. I know they use that more than once. You're right. I don't remember. <laughs> It'll come back to us at some point. But that happens with him on here. Yeah. But yeah, this scene just does a really good job of building tension. It lasted a lot longer than I expected, him just walking through the woods. Him thinking that cattails against a, a log or, or horse hooves coming mm -hmm. after him. But then it turns out there actually are horse hooves, because something is coming. And then you have this whole chase scene, which 
again, lasts longer than I expected. But they don't make it seem like it's going on too long. I felt like it went on too long. I mean, maybe not too long, but, like, it's a frustrating struggle because the horse is being dumb and... There is is a point in there that did feel like it went on too long when it gets silly. (laughs) Like you're talking about with the horse being dumb and the chase sort of happening backwards. And they're probably trying to make something scary funny. Yes, I think that's that's the point where it felt like it went too long. But for the most part, the chase, they paced it well. I just think it should have been less silly. Mm. Yeah, the the whole thing with the dumb horse was frustrating for yes. me to watch. That's one or more points, so. Yeah, and I, side note about the horse. I thought he looked kind of like Cyril from Wind in the Willows. So I was like, I should have just used Cyril. <laughs> <laughs> just have him not talk. And there's lots of wild, crazed laughter mm-hmm. coming from the Headless Horseman. The animation on the Headless Horseman was great. Like, the lighting that they drew for him. Just everything about him was, like, the perfect villain animation. And if it hadn't gotten silly, I think it could be, like, a really standout scene. Of just, like, a villain mm-hmm. scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, it still kind of is. But, like, the, the silliness kind of brought it down a notch. <laughs> Anyways... He crosses the bridge, the one mentioned in the song, and he stops. But I don't think that this horseman is actually a ghost. And like Sasha was talking about in the original story, apparently this horseman is actually Brom Bones. Yes. Pretending to be a ghost. He set it up to scare him half to death, to get him away from his woman. Mm -hmm. And they don't explain that in this short. And I kind of wish that they would have made it more obvious. Like... As an adult, if you're already, if you're paying attention, you get that this is what Mm -hmm. is happening. That he's found Ichabod's weak spot and he's using that. Mm -hmm. So he chucks this jack-o'-lantern at him and that's the last anyone ever sees of him. His hat and the smashed pumpkin are found the next day and nobody sees him again. Which sounds like really dark but then they continue on yes the the narrator says that there are rumors that ichabod is married to a wealthy widow and you see all these kids that look exactly like ichabod and i was thinking are they kids that they had after he married this wealthy widow or did she already have kids and they just happened to look like him oh after (laughs) after totally but even before that they say don't don't they say before that that brombones marries yes katrina and that's that's part of the clue there mm-hmm. of, like, he has won. And then they say that Ichabod married a wealthy widow in a different town, but they don't believe it. They know that the Headless yeah. Horseman got him. The townsfolk think it's ridiculous that he would have married this wealthy widow. They know that the Headless Horseman was his fate. <laughs> yeah. But no, that scene with hurling the pumpkin and then him not being there, it does actually look dark mm-hmm. for a minute. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, what did just happen? But Yeah, the wedding scene with Katrina and Brom, that's kind of like the final thing where you know that she was playing to get Brom because she is happy to be marrying him. She looks thrilled, and she's like enthusiastically kissing him at the end. Aw. So. That's nice. <laughs> It's, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of messed up characters. Yeah, really. That's That was my thought at the end of this. I was like, there really wasn't any... Aside from the, the cute girl. There weren't any... That, stown, there weren't really any standout 
people who were both intellectually and morally amazing. Yeah. But the big point of the story seems to be a gold digger getting his own. (laughs) Apparently. Which I did not remember at all. No, and I'm glad that I now know that there's a different point to the story than a creepy undead person. (laughs) Yeah. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I guess that brings us to the end of our look back at the package films. After this, I haven't completely decided what I'm going to do. I think we're going to do a little mini-series looking into the beginnings of Disney's venture into live action. And we might be starting with Song of the South. (laughs) We'll see. I haven't finalized it yet, but that will come eventually. Okay. Okay, well, I guess we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you to Sarah for joining me for this episode, as well as the whole series. She's mentioned this before, but all these films have fallen within one of her favorite periods in history, so she's up for most anything during this time period. Later eras of Disney's history are a bit less interesting to her as a whole, so in the future we'll probably start switching things up with more guests talking about different films. Sarah will still be around, of course. She has a wide variety of interests. There are still plenty more Disney movies she wants to talk about, and she'll play a part in our next Disney series, which ran alongside the package film era. Our next project for the Disney Movie Marathon will be a mini-series looking at Walt Disney's journey into live action, which happened throughout the 40s and culminated in 1950 with his first full-length, completely live-action film. I don't want to say for certain when this series will be because I have several episodes in the works to come before that, including our series for next month when we'll be doing Christmas in July. I don't have quite as many episodes for that as I have in previous years due to my new full-time job, but there's still some great ones coming, including a two-parter with Nikki from Trivial Theater talking about an amazingly, hilariously terrible film called Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny. You absolutely do not want to miss this one, so make sure to come back next month for Christmas in July on iHeartMovies. We'll see you then. You can't reason with a headless man. Man, I'm getting out of here.